2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. Are you there? All right. It says this. After this, David defeated and subdued the Philistines by conquering Gath, their largest town. I want you to pay close attention to those first two words, after this. Then Acts chapter 4, verse 29 through 31. I'll give you a moment to turn over there. So thankful to Pastor Daniel for the privilege to preach the word tonight. I hope you are ready, because I am, and I know the Holy Spirit is. Acts chapter 4, verse 29 through 31 says this, And now, O Lord, hear their threats. This is the disciples and apostles praying. And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they began to preach the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. I ask that you would anoint me tonight to share this message in the way that you gave it to me. Lord, minister to us and give us a fresh outpouring of your spirit tonight in your name. Amen. You can be seated. It is good to see all of you here tonight, as I've already said, and Minister Gill and Rosie, congratulations, 16 years. Amen. It'll be 34 for Jan and I this March. Yeah, yeah you will. Uh, just what was interesting is you were 19. I had just turned 20, and Jan was 19 when we got married. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a great 34 years, it's, it's soon to be 34 years, it's not been, not been without its challenges, but you know, the Lord is faithful, even, in, even when, when one of us is really stupid, <laughs> he's really, really faithful, um, amen, so, hallelujah, oh, he's made up for my, uh, my, my uh, we, I call it the spirit of stupid, guys, you don't ever want to have the spirit of stupid, okay, rebuke that thing quickly. <laughs> All right, a fresh outpouring. Doesn't matter who you are t- tonight or how anointed you may feel like you are or you aren't, at some point in your life and in my life, we need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to give you a little background to this passage of Scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 8, and the way we'll do that is turn back over, if you have that, turn back over to chapter 7. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but this is, this is interesting how I, I came about uh, this particular thought, and then the Holy Spirit redirected me to it today. Uh, in, in our King's School of Ministry, I shared with the students the story of Obed-Edom, which is found in chapter 6, how David had just, he'd been anointed king by Samuel for, for a while, and, but he wouldn't take the throne until God removed Saul. Because he, he still respected the fact that Saul had been the anointed king before him. And as soon as David took the throne, one of the first things he said he wanted to do was to bring the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, back to Jerusalem. Back to the holy city. Because he's like, I don't want to rule God's people as their king without God's presence. I can't do it by myself. I don't want to do it by myself. Let's go find the Ark. Because the Ark of the Covenant had been captured by the Philistines. Not, it, that's a whole other message, and it's very powerful. But David went through the, the different things that he went through to bring and return the Ark of the Covenant back to, uh, to the holy city. 
And it was, it was after that, right at the end of chapter 6, that, that David danced mightily before the Lord as they brought the ark, as they returned the ark uh, of the covenant into Jerusalem. It was worshiping. David danced, took off his kingly garments and, and danced like a commoner just before the, the throne or the, the ark of the covenant in the presence of God. And his wife, Michael, just, she, she just uh, had disdain in her heart for him. And God dealt with her. And so then it goes to, goes to chapter 7. David had a great desire. Now that the Ark of the Covenant was back in Jerusalem, David said, how can I live in a house that's built on a foundation and is a permanent structure and God reside in tents? And so David had a great desire to build a tabernacle, to build a, a place of worship, a permanent place of worship where the, where the presence of God would reside. And, and in fact, Nathan the prophet told him, go ahead and do what your hearts desire. Until that night, God spoke to Nathan and spoke to, to David and said, no, you can't. You can't. You're a man of war. You're a man of bloodshed. You're a fighting man. And because of that, even though it's your heart's desire and it was a good thing, it made perfect sense, God said, no, you can't do that, David, but I will raise up. Your son will do that. Your son who will follow after you on the throne, he will build the temple. He will build the, the, the permanent place where, where I, my presence will reside. So, so we get to chapter 7, verses 18 through 29. And again, I'm not going to read all of that. But David has just gone through the whole situation of bringing the Ark of the Covenant back and doing it wrong the first time and causing uh, you know, Uzzah to die and, and then leaving it at the house of Obed-Edom and hearing of the, the 90 days of blessing that God poured out on the household of Obed-Edom and then look, going back and reviewing the proper way to transport God's presence and bringing it back into the city. And now he has this great desire, and at first it looks like he's going to get to do this great thing before God, and then he's told, no, he can't. And David made an interesting choice when it gets to, to, to verse 18. He says, then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. In this manner of man, O Lord, in, is this the manner of man, o, God, o Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. And David goes on through the rest of those verses to just praise God, to give declaration of the goodness of God, to talk about how good God is. David recounts God's goodness, his favor, the awesomeness of God. He basically has an, a good old-fashioned praise break right in the middle of receiving some disappointing news. And that happens, and then you read in chapter 8, after this. So now you know what that means, after this. After David had gone through all that he had just gone through, after the disappointment, after making a, the right choice, that in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of basically being told, you're my servant, you're my, you're my king, you're the anointed one, but you can't do all that's on your heart because of choices that you've made. David made the right choice to rejoice, to worship, to recount the praises of God, the goodness of God, the glory of God. And it says, after this, David went out and won great victories. After this, David went out and fought battles and won victories and took back possession and land and defeated enemies and subdued people. Can I tell you tonight, somebody needs to know that there's an after this coming in your life. There's an after this 
for you tonight. So you need to realize, hold on. Don't lose hope. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't turn off the switch of faith yet. There's something beyond this. This is not the end, church. This is just whatever you're going through and you're needing it to be after you go through it. Great victory's coming. Can I tell you that it, whatever you're in, whatever the, this is that you're in, it's just a temporary inconvenience. It's just the hallway. <laughs> it's the in-between place. Can somebody say amen tonight? This is just the valley between two mountains. Sometimes this place could be called the meanwhile. Do you know what the meanwhile means? It means that while you're in it, it can be mean. It can be hard. It can be a painful, trying, dark, uncertain time and place. Remember Elijah when he calls down fire from heaven? And after his servant has seized the little cloud, the Bible says, And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. The great rain came after the meanwhile. The great blessings came after the meanwhile. But in the meanwhile, there were dark clouds and there were winds letting them know that the meanwhile was almost over, that there was something coming. For somebody here today, tonight, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're there right now. You feel like you're in the meanwhile. You feel like you're stuck. You feel like you're in the in-between. God, I'm in the hallway. I, I don't know, is it right or is it left? Is it, is it this door? Is it door number one, door number two, door number three? God, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss what you have. So I'll just stand right here in the hallway. Can I tell you, if you find yourself in the meanwhile, if you find yourself stuck in the hallway, if you find yourself in the midst of, God, I don't really know what to do, can I give you some advice of what to do? You need to do like David did in chapter 7, verses 18 through 29. You need to begin to recount the goodness of the Lord. You begin to declare with your mouth his praises, his purpose, his plans that have never failed. And when you do, after this, you'll step into that victory. After this, you'll take back the possession and the things that God promised for you. Somebody shout tonight. Hallelujah. For some of you, you feel like there's some harsh winds of adversity blowing in your life. For some of you, you feel like the dark clouds are obscuring the light of God's goodness. Can I tell you that sometimes when that's going on, you need to claim the promises of Psalm 18. The promises of Psalm 18 tells you and I that God covers himself with dark clouds. It's like God goes into stealth mode. And why is he going into stealth mode? Because he's about to bow the heavens open and come down and fight on your behalf and fight on my behalf. It says in Psalm 18 that his dark clouds cover his feet. And from those dark clouds, he hails lightning and hailstones and thunders from those clouds to rout the enemies of God's people. So if it seems dark, if it seems like you're stuck, don't just sit there and say, woe is me. Come on, begin to praise and pr hold on and claim the promises of God. Whew. After this, after this, I just kept hearing that going over and over in my spirit. And I went back to, to, to 2 Samuel and began to look. After this, it says, David smote the Philistines and subdued them. He took their largest city. 
See, God never told you and I, he never promised you and I that if we serve him, we'd never have a problem. He never promised us that we'd never be in for the fight of our life sometimes. He never promised that we would never get sick, we'd never be attacked, we'd never have problems in our families. But you know what he did promise us? He promised us that he would be with us through it all. From beginning to the end, he would be with us. Psalm 34, 19 says, The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Hallelujah. Isaiah 43, 2, one of my favorite verses says, When you go through the deep waters, not if, not if by chance, maybe sometime you might. It says, when you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Somebody ought to shout tonight that that's a promise of God that we can hold on to. We can claim and we can walk with confidence. The Lord, I don't understand it all. I don't understand why I'm going through all of this. It sure seems like this is dragging out. Is it ever going to end? It's just one thing after another. It's like, man, I'm, I, get, I fight that battle and I win and I get a little victory. And the next thing I know, it's something else pops up. Lord, is it ever going to end? And then you remember those promises. That great are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord sustains and rescues in every one of them. And you'll be able to overcome it. You'll be able to hold your head high. Throw your shoulders back and say loudly and proclaim, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Hallelujah. The Lord told me today to tell you and I to remind us that if we will not give up, if we will not give in to fear and doubt, if we will keep walking through the fire, if we will keep on praising God in the midnight hour, if we will hold on to his word in the face of every contrary and negative report, you know what will come after this. His blessing, his delivery. I don't know again what the this is for some of you. It might be a doctor's bad report. It might be a long season of sickness. It might be the loss of a loved one. It may be a painful divorce. It may be the deep pit of debt. I don't know what this is to you today, and I don't have to know. All I need to know is that there is an after this that is made available for you and I. And now I'm going to take you to the New Testament and tie it in with how we see this evident in the New Testament church, the early beginning of the church, because God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He does not, he is not a God of favoritism. He doesn't do something for some people and not do it for all of his people and all of his children. Acts chapter 4, we read it, I'll read it again. And now, O oh Lord, hear the, their threats. And give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. A little side note, we ought to begin to look for some building-shaking prayer going on among God's people. When's the last time you were in a prayer meeting, whether it was early morning prayer, an all-night prayer service, prayer before church on Sunday, a prayer at your home, when you just felt the place shake with the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, he did it here. He wants to do it again. God wants to give us some building-shaking, foundation-shaking prayers. We need to look for that. Now, most of you tonight, I'm assuming, maybe I shouldn't, 
but most of you tonight are probably familiar with the story found in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In that particular passage of Scripture, the Holy Spirit comes and fills 120 hungry hearts and tongues like fire come and set down on top of every head. The Bible says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And cloven tongues like as fire set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what you hear going on around here is not unusual. It's not strange. It's not a, a, a situation that is uncommon. It's found in Scripture and should be found among God's people. It's a promise. Jesus said the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. And he's a good, good father. So if he's got a promise for you and I, it's a good thing. Hallelujah. Now this event that took place in Acts chapter 2, this was when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ was empowered with supernatural power from on high. The Holy Spirit came on them and in them. And guess what this power did? When this power came upon them, when this anointing came upon them, it set them directly in the line of fire. I mean... I mean, it was like bullseyes on all of them. Extreme spiritual warfare began to break out against them. This, this infant church was thrust into the heat of battle. They experienced great persecution. So that by the time we get to Acts chapter 4, they've been beaten up pretty good. They've been threatened. They've been drugged before the religious people. They've been, they've been told they can't do things anymore. They've, 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 they've had their lives threatened. They got beat, kind of like maybe somebody here tonight. Maybe you feel like you've been beat up. Maybe you feel like, you know, it's, it, 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 it can't get any worse, but I want to tell you, you, you feel like you've had the wind knocked out of you. Something unexpected, you didn't see it coming. The, the, the term, it came out of left field, meaning it, it seemed like it came out of nowhere, but all of a sudden it's here. What do you do? Can I prophesy to you tonight and tell you don't quit? Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. There's a fresh wind blowing. There's a fresh outpouring that God wants to bring to your life, that the Holy Spirit wants to do for you and I, and he wants to start now. Let's look at the early church and see how they responded to their battles and their warfare. We've already read it, but it's the word. I want to read it again because I want you to get what, it, what, they, what they're saying here. They prayed and said, And now, Lord, behold their threats. And grant to your servants that with boldness we may speak your word. Stretch forth your hand to heal so that signs and wonders may be done by the name of Jesus. The Bible says when they prayed the place was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Do you, do you get the picture now? Do you see what happened right there? They got a second wind. They got a fresh outpouring. That same wind that had blew through the upper room in Acts chapter 2 was blowing again into their lives in Acts chapter 4. I don't know how many runners we have here tonight. In my, <laughs> well, we know we got one that's not. In my, in my high school, junior high and high school athletic career, I liked to run. In fact, I was pretty fast when I was a lot lighter and a lot younger. The high school football coach wanted me to come out, go out for football my freshman year because I was fast. I was one of the fastest young men in the school. And he wanted me to, 
to be wide receiver because he felt like I could, I could get past the defense. My, my parents wouldn't let me play football because there'd been too many accidents and people hurt and, 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 and had their lives messed up because of football. So I stuck with basketball and I was really quick in basketball. And, and I could run and I like to run and, and, and through, I've, I've run some 10Ks. In fact, in Fairbanks, when Zach, was, or who's now 31, of course, I'm now 53, so this was years ago, many, many years ago, he and I decided to run a 10K together, and I had a better time than he did. That was the last time I beat him, because he said, that ain't happening again, Dad. <laughs> and the next one we ran, he left me in the dust. But there's a term in, in, when, for runners a phrase that have become familiar, especially when it, as it relates to a runner running in a race, and it's the phrase, a second win. It's often experienced by a runner who's run until they've reached what seems like the point of exhaustion. Typically, just before they catch that second win, most runners feel like their lungs are about to explode, and every muscle in their body's on fire, telling them, screaming, quit, stop, why are you doing this? Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, seemingly, and without really any explanation, there comes a sudden revitalization and energy and strength to keep running. And actually, it seems to almost be supernatural. And in many cases, this second win has actually pushed many runners into the winning cir winner circle. Some scientists believe this phenomenon that they call the second win to be the result of the body finding the proper balance of oxygen to counteract the buildup of lactic acid in the muscles. I looked that up. I'm not that intelligent. <laughs> others claim it is due to the endorphin production, while others believe it to be purely psychological. Regardless of what causes it to happen, there is no disputing the fact that it actually does happen. This phenomenon has come to be used as a metaphor for some new energy, for some new strength at the point of exhaustion. And I hear the Lord say to the church tonight that he's sending a second wind. He's sending a fresh anointing, a new chapter anointing to his people. And after this encounter with victory, empowered by this fresh anointing, this fresh outpouring, the Lord has said many of his people have reached the point of exhaustion. The Bible even says that in the last days the devil will speak great words against the Most High, and he will wear out the saints of the Most High. But can I tell you, that's just temporary. Here's an example of what I'm talking about, found in the book of Daniel, a pro prophecy from Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, verses 21 and 22. Daniel says, and I watched, he was seeing a vision, as I watched, this horn was waging war against God's people, God's holy people, and was defeating them until the Ancient One, the Most High, came and judged in favor of his holy people. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. Can I tell you, there's a second wind coming when the ancient one, the ancient of days, the judge of all things, will make all things right. And no matter what the enemy's been throwing against you and I, no matter what accusations he's been bringing against us, because that's what he is, he's the accuser of the brethren. The ancient of days, the most high, the holy righteous judge will stand up when it's the right time and say, enough is enough. But until then, we got to believe that there's a second wind coming. 
There's a fresh outpouring, a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit so that we can, we can endure and not just endure, not just survive, but we can thrive in the midst of all that's going on around us. I know that there's many in, in the sound of my voice tonight, either here or that are going to listen to this later by podcast, that you've been under attack. It's been a continuous, seemingly nonstop, unrelenting, seemingly no relief, one thing after another. You've been under pressure physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Every time you get the victory, the devil comes at you from another side. Why is this happening? He's trying to drive you and I to the point of exhaustion. He's trying to wear us out. He's trying to squeeze the very life, the very breath out of you and I. But see, breath is life. Breath is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. If you have no life in you, you're no longer a threat to the enemy. The valley of dry bones was no threat to the enemy. But when the wind, the breath of God, the Holy Ghost began to blow, there stood up a mighty army that was ready to plunder the very gates of hell. 120 discouraged followers of Jesus were in an upper room in Jerusalem, and they were no threat to the, to the enemy. In fact, many among their numbers had denied Jesus, had fled when the times got tough, that said they were going to stand with him, and when the time came for them to stand, they took off and run and, and, and hid. And here they are now in the, in the upper room, and they weren't any threat to the enemy, but all of a sudden, there was a rushing mighty wind when God begin, and the wind of God began to blow and fill them all with the Holy Ghost and commission them with tongues of fire and they turned the known world upside down. In case you need another example, 300 foxes were no threat to the Philistines until Samson put them in pairs and tied them tail to tail and set a firebrand between their tails. Then they became weapons of mass destruction as he loosed them on the Philistines and they burned up all the corn, all the vineyards, and all the olives. See, that's what the enemy's afraid of. He's afraid of the fire of God. And he's afraid of God's people when we're refreshed and anointed again, walking in the fire of God. The enemy is afraid of you and I when we are burning white hot with the power of the Holy Spirit, the fire of God burning and blazing in our eyes, in our lives. The devil's not afraid of our programs. He's not even really afraid of our singing, of our church attendance, of our talent, or even our knowledge of the Bible. That doesn't really scare him. But what, church, I'm going to tell you, what gives the devil nightmares and what sends shockwaves through the gates of hell is a church on fire, full of the Holy Spirit, anointed by the power of God to destroy the works of the enemy. Hallelujah. When the preachers of the gospel are on fire, when the singers are on fire, when the ushers are on fire, when the greeters are on fire, when the sound booth is on fire, when the keepers of the house are on fire, <laughs> when everything we do is driven by the wind of God. See, when the wind of God blows, it changes everything. It changes everything. It was a wind from God that divided the Red Sea for the children of Israel to cross over. And it was the wind of God that closed the same Red Sea on Pharaoh and all his army. It was the wind of God, as I've already said, that turned the valley of dry bones into a mighty army. And it was the wind of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, that blew through the upper room on the day of Pentecost and turned a bunch of broken-hearted, discouraged disciples into the greatest force of God the earth had ever seen and gave birth to the New Testament church. 
Then our text in Acts tells us this. Many of the same disciples were gathered in prayer. Because of their faith and because of their boldness and their testimony of Jesus Christ, they'd been persecuted. In fact, they had been threatened and commanded not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. But they left that meeting with those religious leaders, counting themselves worthy to suffer for the namesake of Jesus. Then instead of gathering together and complaining and comparing their wounds, they prayed. Let that sink in just a moment. Essentially, what they said was, God, we need more power. We need a double dose. We need a fresh anointing. And that's where Acts 4, 29 through 31 comes into the picture. They prayed, and as they prayed and concluded their prayer, declaring the goodness of God, asking for miracles, signs, and wonders, healings to take place in the name of Jesus, that as they prayed, the Holy Ghost fell. A fresh anointing, a fresh outpouring. The wind of God blew across that place, shook the very place where they were at to the foundation. They all began to speak in tongues with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then they went out and preached the gospel with even more boldness than they had before. They got a second wind, church. They got a refilling. They got a fresh anointing and outpouring, a fresh fire, a fresh baptism. They experienced an after this. If you look at Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. That was the after this. After this encounter, after this persecution, after this threatening, after this being told you can't do this anymore. And they gathered and they prayed and the Spirit of God fell and a fresh outpouring came upon them. The after this was that many more signs and wonders were done among the people at the hands of the apostles. Hallelujah. Minister Micah, could you come back to the keyboard tonight? Unless you feel led to play something else, why don't you play Fresh Outpouring? <laughs> I know by the Spirit of the Lord I'm talking to some people tonight who are tired, who are worn out, many who've even been at the point of exhaustion. You feel like you've had the breath knocked out of you. Some of you feel like you're running on empty. You love God, but you, you, don't really, you, you can't really wrap your head around what's happening can I tell you, in the, in, the, in the natural, we have this thing on our car called a gas tank. Because unless you have an electric car, and then that's a whole different set of stuff. But if you have a, a regular car that runs on gasoline, you have a gas tank. Your car's not going to go anywhere if you don't put gas in it. But you've also got a little gauge and a little indicator on the dash that lets you know whether your gas tank is Full, three-quarters full, half full, quarter tank full, eighth full, or the lights on, and you're headed for trouble. It's not a sin to run out of gas. Thank you, Jesus. Because I happen to be one of those that's like, let me see, I can calculate when that light comes on according to the owner's manual. It drives my wife absolutely bonkers when I do this. That light just came on, and according to the owner's manual, it says that, that when the light comes on, there's 2.3 gallons of fuel left in the tank. And if, let's say, if we, I got V8, so let's say I get 14 miles to the gallon, so I can go at least 28 miles before I'm going to run out of gas. I got time. Now, she's very gracious, because there's times that I have not made it. My calculations were wrong. 
That light was flashing at me. That light was on. There were warning indicators. There were signs that I was running low. There were signs that I was getting empty. There were signs that I needed to do something, and I ignored it. Can I tell you when there's signs in your life that you're running low, that you need a fresh anointing, you need a fresh outpouring, you need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's not a sin that you've got to that point, but where it becomes a problem is when you begin to war, ignore those signs, and you continue to try to do the things things that God's called you to do and you end up doing them in your own strength and your own flesh and you are headed for disaster which is why we need a second wind we need a fresh outpouring we need a, a second infilling of the Holy Spirit hallelujah come on stand all across this place position yourself before the Spirit of God tonight it's only 813 come on Right now, God is wanting to send a second wind. God is wanting to send a second wind, a fresh wind, into your life tonight. But you've got to position yourself before Him to receive. You've got to come before Him and say, Lord, I see the warning signs. I'm at a half a tank. I'm half full. I'm three-quarters full. And I want to be all the way filled up. I want to be filled to overflowing. I want to be so full that I don't ever have to worry about running out. And I want to give out and give out and let you fill and fill. And give out and give out and let you fill and fill. Tonight there's a good word for you if you're feeling low, if you're feeling empty, if you're feeling stuck, you're going to breathe again. And it won't be like spiritual asthma where you have to fight for every breath. Come on, begin to breathe out praise and worship to God right now all across this place. This is a little different. It's okay. Come on, right where you are. You're positioning yourself. Begin to breathe out praises unto the Lord. Begin to allow the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow across your life in this place tonight. Oh, thank you, Lord. Yes. Hallelujah. Oh, God, we need that fresh outpouring. Come upon your people now, Lord. Come upon your people now. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Never before has the American church needed a more fresh Pentecost, a second wind of heaven, a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. The great need of the church is a fresh anointing, a fresh fire from heaven. And I'm declaring to you right now, God is sending that second wind to some of you right now. And you just need to receive it. By faith, you need to just lift your hands and say, Lord, I receive that second wind. I receive a fresh outpouring in my life right now. Hallelujah. Oh. Hallelujah. Come on, let's sing that chorus. I need a fresh outpouring. We need a fresh outpouring. Come on and worship Him. Unleash a fresh outpouring now. Lift your hands all across this place. Just begin to receive right now. Let the Holy Spirit blow upon you.
Listen to me, church. You're not going under. You're going over. You're not going to be defeated. You're going to be victorious. After this tonight, you're going to walk and step into some victories that you've been wanting and you've been claiming, but you haven't experienced them yet. Because tonight, we're putting the enemy where he belongs. That's under our feet. He's defeated. God has given us the power and the authority to trample upon him. Praise God right where you are. Lift your hands. Begin to breathe. Just inhale and exhale. Inhale and exhale. Something's going to break over your life right now. Hallelujah. We need a fresh outpouring. Yes, Lord, unleash a fresh outpouring now. We need a fresh For some of you, you need to step out from where you are. You need to come find a place up front because you just, you're feeling too restricted. Maybe it's because of the person next to you. Not that they're doing anything wrong, but you just feel like you just, you just can't, you just can't break off whatever it is that's holding you. Step out from where you are. If you gotta kneel, if you gotta lay down, if you gotta stand, if you're gonna lift your hands, however you need to respond, there's a fresh outpouring that's available for us tonight. There's a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit that wants to blow across you and I tonight. Come on. Don't quit. Don't quit. We need a fresh outpouring. Just receive it tonight. Unleash a fresh outpouring now. For some of you, the Holy Spirit wants to come upon you. He wants to anoint you with, a, with a, a, an anointing that will break the yoke of bondage. There's been things spoken over you. You're bound by words that were spoken by somebody. Maybe they meant well or maybe they intended evil. It doesn't matter. Those words that they spoke over you, whether you were little or whether it was last week, they've got you bound right now. And the Holy Spirit wants to anoint you with a yoke-breaking anointing that will break the yoke of those words that'll break the bondage off of you. If that's you tonight, why don't you step out from where you are and just begin to praise God and declare that yoke is broken. It, I'm not bound by that anymore. I'm not bound by those words. I'm bound by the word of God and I'm being set free tonight. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Fresh outpouring. God wants to do something. The Holy Spirit wants to do something tonight. I'm going to go through and lay hands on people, and I'm just simply going to lay hands on you and pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon you. 
Maybe you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the first place. I got news for you. It's the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that was present on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts is present here tonight. The same infilling that took place on, on Acts chapter 2 can take place in your life tonight. You just need to receive that gift, the promise of the Father, the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go lay hands. Minister Micah, if you don't mind, just keep singing. I'm going to lay hands on you. If you need prayer for anything, you want to receive the baptism, you want to get saved, you want, you're needing a miracle, then you just step forward right now. And we're going to believe God for a fresh outpouring, a fresh anointing tonight.
Just keep worshiping him. He's not done. He's not done tonight. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I want to challenge you with something tonight. Those of you that are still being ministered, <clears throat> pardon me, still being ministered to, I'll get through it. Just allow the Holy Spirit to continue to minister to you. But I want to challenge you with something tonight. I hope that you've been encouraged tonight by the word of God and by the spirit of the living Lord. But the key for David to have his after this was what he did in the midst of the this. And that's my challenge for you tonight. We'll be dismissed in just a few moments, but the challenge is if you're in the this, to do like David did. And a great example of that is found in 2 Samuel chapter 6 in the story of Obed-Edom. I challenged our students in our school of ministry for 20 plus years the Ark of the Covenant was in the house of Abinadab, and he had two sons. And there is no record in Scripture, and it's not because Scripture was lacking or missing something. There was no record in Scripture of anything amazing or blessing or anything taking place in the house of Abinadab. Twenty years the Ark resided there, the presence of God resided there, and there's no record in Scripture of anything happening. In fact, we see that when David came to get the Ark of the Covenant and they transported it and did it wrong that Uzzah, one of Abinadad's sons, saw the oxen stumble and the Ark shift and he decided to help God out and reached up and touched the Ark to steady it and God struck him dead. Why? Well, I'll tell you what I believe. I believe God struck him dead because there was no reverence. There was no, there was no holiness. There was no righteous fear of God even though the presence of God had been in his house for 20 years. He'd grown up with the presence of God, sitting off in the corner somewhere, stuck in the back 40 and in some shed, uh, just sitting there, and he had no respect and had no godly fear, and he thought God needed his help. Listen, if the Ark of the Covenant was going to stumble and fall into the mud, I can tell you God could have caused the Ark of the Covenant, his presence, to just lift the Ark and hover it above the ground. He didn't need somebody who didn't respect and honor and fear him with reverence to try to help him out. And when that happened, David freaked out. He's like, 
how can I bring God's presence back into Jerusalem if this is going to happen? And it says that they turned aside and put the Ark of the Covenant in the house of Obed-Edom. It was there for 90 days, three months. And in those 90 days, Scripture says that God blessed all, A-L-L, all of Obed-Edom's household. Now, if I can just do it a little bit like I do it, in those 90 days, Mrs. Obed-Edom discovered that they were going to have another child because children are a blessing of the Lord. In those 90 days, Mrs. Obed-Edom's crops, she had the biggest tomatoes she'd ever seen. She had the biggest head of cabbage she'd ever seen. Her snap peas were more snappy than they'd ever been in that 90 days. The children begin to come home from school and do their homework instead of complaining and asking to go do this and that. They, came, they started saying yes ma'am and no ma'am. Yes, sir, and no, sir. Where there had been strife in the home, there was now peace. Where there had been discord and fighting, there was now peace and tranquility because God was in their home, and they honored and respected and revered the presence of God, and they allowed the presence of God in three months to so radically change and transform their household that it was reported back to David in the holy city. You take King David. You ought to hear what's happening at the house of Obed-Edom. You ought to hear about all the blessings that God has poured out. And David said, I want some of that. I want that blessing. I want all my stuff, A-L-L. -L. And when Scripture says all, A-L-L, -L, it means all. And it said all of Obed-Edom's household was blessed. So King David went and did it right this time and brought the Ark of the Covenant back. And so I'll leave you with two things tonight before I dismiss. Those of you that are praying, continue to pray. What would happen in your home? What would happen in your life? What would happen in your family if for 90 days, three months, you committed that there, there was a passion and a desire and a hunger for the presence of God, for the fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God in your home to such that you turned off or unplugged or logged off and turned it off and set it in the corner and you focused on Him for 90 days. What might happen? How might it be reported across the valley? Can you imagine? Have you heard what's taking place in the homes of those people that are building that church up on the hill? Something's going on because we committed to 90 days of nothing but Him. Nothing but His presence. I challenged my KSM students to do that. I throw that challenge down to you. Take 90 days. Watch what God will do. Watch what He'll turn around. Watch what victories will begin to unfold. Because you know what? We like talking about the victories. God's given me victory. God's blessed me with this victory. Because victories are us-focused. What we need to be talking about is, God, how can I walk in obedience before you? God, can I, how can I honor you with my obedience? How can I honor you with my reverence? How can I honor you with my sacrifice of giving up things that divide my time? Because when we walk in obedience, it's now focused on Him. So I leave that challenge with you. And then I give you this conclusion of the story of Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom is one of those characters in Scripture that you don't know a lot about. 
We don't know a lot of his background. His name suggests that he was an Edomite, Obed-Edom, that he was an Edomite, which means he wasn't an Israelite. He wasn't, he wasn't a natural Jew, but he was obviously reverenced and honored God. And again, if you'll allow me, I don't know for sure because Scripture doesn't say, but I don't feel like I'm doing any harm to Scripture. I believe something happened when David came and took the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, out of Obed-Edom's house and took it back to the holy city. Because the next time that we see Obed-Edom and his sons listed is in Chronicles. And they were listed as gatekeepers in the house of God. What are you saying? I think there was a conversation that took place that night around the dinner table. The presence of God was now gone from their home because the Ark of the Covenant was the manifest, physical, tangible presence of an all-present all God. And I believe Obed-Edom and Mrs. Obed-Edom had a conversation that night. What are we going to do now? And I believe he went and got a for sale sign and stuck it in the front yard and said, we're going to move into the holy city and we're going to ask for jobs. We're going to be near because nothing else will satisfy any longer than being in his presence. And I believe it's just what I believe. It's not a theology. Don't build your theology. It won't get you to heaven. It's just what I believe. I believe when David penned the words... Oh, that I may dwell in his presence to behold his beauty and the glory of the Lord. I believe he did that personally, I believe, because he now saw the evidence of the impact that the presence of God had on Obed-Edom because Obed-Edom and his son showed up and said, we want a job. You don't even have to pay us. We just want to be in the presence. We'll be gatekeepers. We'll open the gates to let people come in to, to the temple to worship. What are we willing to sacrifice, church? What are we willing to give up? I'm just saying give 90 days and watch what God will do if he becomes your sole focus and purpose for living. Oh, but I might miss this. Oh, but I got my favorite binge. On, and I, I could get, I'm not, I'm not going to get on that. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit speak to you just like he's speaking to me. Did you get something tonight? Thank you. I never want to close the service without giving the, this, this opportunity. So right where you are, just bow your heads real quick. Those again, those of you that are in the altars, you stay as long as you need to. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you, you, you knew him as your Lord and Savior, you prayed and repented of your sins at one time, but something I said tonight, something Holy Spirit is speaking to you tonight, lets you know that you need to recommit, you need to rededicate, you need to repent and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior all over again or you just want to be assured of your salvation. If that's you here tonight, you want to get saved for the first time, you want to recommit your life to the Lord, or you want to be assured of your salvation tonight, if that's you, would you lift your hand all across this place so I can pray for you? Hallelujah. Do we have any? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Then repeat this prayer after me. We'll kind of include that in it just so we all can reaffirm our faith. Father God, repeat this after me. Father God, Thank you for your presence. There is nothing like the presence of God. Give me a hunger and a desire to not settle for anything less than your presence. Forgive me of any sin that is hindering 
your presence in my life. I commit myself to you again. I declare that you are my Lord and my Savior. And I thank you for that in your name. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise for what he's done tonight. Let me bless you and then you will be dismissed. Again, if you, if you need to stay, you do. But let me bless you tonight. Father, I thank you for your people, Lord God. I ask, Lord God, that you would lift up your countenance towards your people. You would shine your face upon them, Lord God. Oh, Father, you would, you would bless us, Lord, with you in our lives. You would give us peace. You would deal graciously with us, Lord. And you would give us peace as we leave this place. Go with them now, Father. We give you praise and declare that you are Lord and Savior in your name. Amen. God bless you.